Oh, and happy Sabbath. Ah, oh, it's so nice to see you all and see you all smiling. Um, can we get the... There it is. There's a slideshow. Okay, so yes, today I'm going to be sharing with you about this idea of praying for the harvest. Now, before we... Oh, get it? Do I get to click this? How does this work? Does it have an... It's... Uh, Does this have batteries in it? There we go. Got it to work. Okay, so I'm going to be talking to you about praying for the harvest. But before we get into the Bible verse, I would like to share with you a story that happened to me around about six years ago. So, excuse me, I have a cough. In the end of 2016, I was finishing up that year at Avondale College and I decided for the summer I was going to punish myself by doing way too many things. And one of the very many things that I signed up for that summer was I applied to be a part of the summer scholarship program at Avondale College, which basically meant that because I had good enough grades, I was assigned to work with one of the lecturers at Avondale who was doing a research project of his own. And so I would just help in whatever way that I could to gather the research data and all these different types of things. And so I was helping somebody Um, work on writing a book and I had to help uh, look through some of the old resources from like a hundred years ago and I ended up getting stuck at the bottom of the library um, that summer in like a air-conditioned room it was terrible I know Um, it was actually a climate controlled space to keep all of the documents all the handwritten documents from a hundred years ago this is where they keep all of the archives for the whole South Pacific Division for the Seventh-day Adventists so any like the original record magazines they have a copy of every single one of them they have you know, these original um, glass photo slides that you put up on a projector, all sorts of really interesting things down there, and I got to kind of go through a lot of that. And one thing that really stood out to me while I was studying this um, during that summer wasn't really connected to the research project itself, but just something that uh, was a pattern that I noticed was in the older documents, Avondale College kept being referred to as Avondale Missionary College. And I would see this many times over. And it kind of really stood out to me. I was like, whatever happened to the Avondale Missionary College? What happened to the missionary part? And another thing that I learned as, as this was coming to my attention was that in the early days, when it was at Avondale Mission College, the students would go there a lot of them, maybe not all, but very many of them, will go to study to be a pastor or a teacher or a nurse, and then immediately, once they graduated, they would usually be married by this point, and then they would go off into the mission field, um, either somewhere in the islands, or somewhere, maybe an Aboriginal mission here in Australia, whatever it was, they would go to Avondale Mission College to train to become missionaries, and then they would graduate, and then they'd become missionaries. And that really stood out to me. And so when about a month or so later, as 2017 was starting and the the new academic year was starting, I was asked to write an article in our student-led magazine. It's called The Voice. 
Um, and I decided, look, I'll write about this thing that I've just been learning about, I'm very passionate about, and so I wrote this, you know, little two-page article about whatever happened to the mission focus here at Avondale, why is it left, how come we're not, you know, behaving like the, the way that our predecessors did, and I basically just said, look, we should be looking for ways, as students right now, how can we be missionaries in our local environment? Here at Avondale, back at home, as soon as we leave here, like, let's try to bring this focus back into our lives. And then if we fast forward six months, that's when I became a missionary. And I didn't realize it the six months before when I was learning about this and when I was focusing on it and when I was writing this article, I don't know if anybody else who read that article actually got anything out of it. I never heard a testimony from somebody else going, yeah, that was good and that's encouraged me. But I know for me, because I was focused on it, it's something that actually translated into my life. And I'd like to thank some of the people here um, at this church when my grandparents uh, approached you um, to donate money for me to go overseas and become a missionary. You helped out, and that's a really cool tie-in with all of you guys. So um, I was supported by this church to become a missionary a few years ago, which is really nice. But the point that I'm trying to make here is the focus that I had in my life um, the thing that I was praying about and learning about ended up being a, a thing that translated into my daily life only six months later. So we'll leave the story there, and I'd like to share with you our focus verse for this sermon. And it says, Jesus said to ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. And we find this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, and Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The writing is really small over there. <laughs> so if you go home and have a food coma after lunch and you remember nothing else from this sermon, this is what I want you to remember. This is the big idea for this sermon. We need to be praying for workers to go out into the harvest, and then we need to become those workers who are going out into the harvest, okay? We need to be praying, and then we need to be becoming. So let's have a closer look at this, uh, this statement that Jesus said. We find it in these two passages. Let's have a closer look at these passages. So in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38... It says, Jesus went walking, uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Okay, so that's our first passage. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, it says, After the Lord appointed 72 others, thank you, I can see it here now. After the, uh, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to visit. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
So the context that we see these two verses uh, giving for this, this statement that Jesus gives, the first one, we see a lot of Jesus' compassion for the people, and he's also sending out the disciples as soon as he says this. He says, uh, there's a, I have a lot of compassion for these people. The harvest is great. The workers of few ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, and then he's sending them out. And in Luke, we see more specifically, Jesus is sending out the 72 disciples. So if we back up a step, we all hear about the 12 disciples, right? And sometimes we even hear about Jesus' three best mates, you know, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And then we, we zoom out slightly and we see that Jesus also had a following of about 72 people who, who went with him everywhere for a while. And then there was the multitude. So these 72 were literally any of the people who followed him around who had enough guts to actually go and do what he said. It wasn't the 12, it wasn't that really close inner circle. It was just like your average everyday Christian. And he's sending these ones out two by two to go ahead and to prepare the way for him to come. And then he gives them very specific instructions about what they should do when they get into dangerous situations after verse 3. So Jesus tells the disciples to pray for the harvest in the context of sending them out on mission. They're connected. They cannot be pulled apart from each other. Jesus is saying pray and also go, right? In Jewish thought, and therefore inherent in Jesus' teaching, a thought or idea was always linked to an action. So let me explain that for a second. Here in, in the English language, at least, I'm not sure how it works in Serbian or in other languages, we have a lot of words in our vocabulary, like literally hundreds of thousands of words. Whereas in some cultures, especially Eastern cultures and in the Jewish culture specifically, there was a much smaller range of vocabulary. And because of this, they weren't able to be as specific and use very specific words like we have in like science and all these different things, they had to pack a lot more meaning into each word. And sometimes a word, if you study the Greek or the Hebrew, sometimes those words had like 16 different meanings that you had to choose from depending on the context. And often, if not always, um, a thought or idea would, uh, like the word, the thought would go all the way from, from the conceptual idea and all the way from that to acting it out in practice, to walking it out. So praying for something, essentially having an idea or a conversation about something, was expected to be followed by an action. As Jesus' disciples, all of us here in this room, from the very littlest to the very oldest, <laughs> All of us are expected to, number one, pray that God sends workers out into the harvest, and two, realize that that means that we are those workers, right? That's what God expects of each one of us here today. So let me just give you a quick reminder of what this mission field looks like. I actually met somebody a few weeks ago who was very misled about how much of the world we'd reached with the gospel. And so just in case you guys haven't heard this data recently or you have a bit of a different idea, let me show you what this mission field looks like, what we're facing in the world right now. This, I don't know, yeah, you can see that probably well enough. This is the map of the world. 
and there's a lot of red splotches, so let me, let me explain what's going on. Down in the bottom left-hand corner, um, there's a key, it's got a little red splotch and it says non-Christian population from, this is data from 2020, so only about two years ago, and it's in millions. So if you look, for example, in the top right-hand corner where it says Japan, one, two, two, it's saying that Japan has 122 million people in that country who are not in a relationship with Jesus. And then there's a lot of other big splotches that we see like in China and in India and there's a top 10 countries there plus a whole bunch of other ones. And I did a quick calculation and in those top 10 countries alone, there are 3.6 billion people who do not know Jesus. And I did a quick Google search to find out that 69% of the world is not Christian. That's two out of every three people on the planet are not in a relationship with Jesus. This is our mission field. The harvest is really, really big. So let's just bring this closer to home for a second. With the way that the world is at the moment, I'm guessing that not many of us are planning to go too far away right now. So... According to data from 2016 in Brisbane, so this is only six years ago, about 53% of the population is Christian, and this number is declining since earlier data. It was about 61% about five years before that. So probably by now it may even be less than 50% of people in Brisbane who are Christian. So that's one in two people in Brisbane that do not know Jesus. This is our local mission field. How are we approaching this? How can we improve local missions? How can we bolster our numbers as disciples to send out into this world that is dying? How can we get more people on board to be these uh, laborers in this harvest? God's telling us we need to be praying for the harvest, but we also need to be going right? There are only a few of us. How can we help this situation? Obviously, we're going back to our original Bible verse for this sermon, and the answer is prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest, and you know what? He's going to answer. The Holy Spirit will impress each of us to engage in gospel work in unique and specific ways. So individually, when we're praying for this, when we're asking God, hey, what is the solution to this? How can we actually be going out? God will answer us individually and say, this is your specific mission field. These are your skill sets. <coughs> Hold on. These are your spiritual gifts that I have given you, that I have blessed you with to equip you for your mission field. He will also provide a strategy for the local church to unite in outreach programs, uh, outreach opportunities. So that means that not only should we be praying about this individually, but we also need to be praying in unity as a church. I know that God will answer these questions that we have about, you know, this overwhelming um, mission field that we have, you know, the 69% of the planet who doesn't know about Jesus and the one in two people in Brisbane alone who don't know about Jesus. I know that God will answer our prayers because it says here in James chapter 
1 verse 5, <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if we feel a bit overwhelmed and we, we feel like, look, I know now that I have got this call in my life to, to go and reach the people around me, but I really just don't know where to start. It's saying, hey, look, if you need help, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance and you ask God, he's going to give it to you. He's not going to say, oh, you shouldn't be asking me this question. You should know better. He's going to give us the answers. So I'd like just to make this really practical for us as a church right now. And I'd like to invite each one of you to come and join us on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. here in the hall. We have a prayer group. And I'd like for us to really get together and pray strategically over how we can unite as a church and do outreach to our community. How can we uh, get these answers from God and get this strategy for what is the next step? Where are we going to be going this year um, to, to reach the people around us? If Wednesday nights at six o'clock is a really, really terrible time for you, I'd invite you to come and speak to me after the service and we can talk about maybe starting another group if enough people are interested in a particular time, okay? So just want to sum up again, we need to be praying in unity as a church, so coming together in prayer groups, um, whether that's just two or three people in somebody's home or if that's 10 people here at a church, um, Whatever it is, we need to be coming together. We need to be on the same page. We need to be praying strategically for these things to take place. And as well as this, not one or the other, not maybe, um, we need to also be praying at home individually and including this in our daily prayers and asking God throughout the day, hey God, how can you use me right now to reach somebody around me? Can you send somebody my way that I can speak to, that I can encourage, that I can show Jesus to? And then lastly, I just encourage you, as it says in Luke chapter 10, verse three, go. God has given us what we need. He's saying, pray for the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers out. Um, and then he'll give us the strategies when we ask him for wisdom. And then he says, look, you've got all you need. Go and do it. Okay, that is all I have for you today. Have a happy Sabbath. See you around.